very excited today that I am sitting here with Dr. Kristen Allett. She is someone that has played an important role in my life, both personally and professionally. And I'm very grateful that we're able to sit here with each other today and talk about this amazing connection between blood sugar and anxiety and everything else in between that goes along with that. So thank you, Dr. Allett, for being here. My pleasure. I'm really honored that you invited me. Yes, I'm so excited. So I want to take a moment and introduce Dr. Allett to all of you. So Dr. Allett is a naturopathic physician. She's a national speaker and pioneering advocate for the use of whole foods nutrition and the treatment of mental health disorders. With more than a decade of clinical experience, she has refined her expertise on how to promote increased mental functioning by treating the physical causes of mental health, fatigue, and sugar cravings. She is also the co-author of an amazing book called Fuel Your Brain, Not Your Anxiety, Stop the Cycle of Worry, Fatigue, and Sugar Cravings with Simple Protein-Rich Foods. And she's also working within a practice called Dynamic Paths in the state of Washington, where she helps people discover what their brains and bodies need to have energy and mental clarity in their daily lives, which I feel like speaks to everybody. Don't you think? (laughs) I, I, I do. I think having more energy is a universal need. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel like that's the case with especially everything that we've gone through the past three years. I think, I don't know if you agree in seeing this maybe in your practice, like there's been like an uptick in anxiety, depression, fatigue, like all those things. All those things. Yeah. All the things. Yeah. So I want to go into sharing with the listeners, with you all on how I know Dr. Allett, because it does have a personal component to me and my life. And so Dr. Allett, is it okay if I share with people? Okay. So I experienced what's called gestational diabetes when I was pregnant with my son. This was three and a half years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long. Time flies. (laughs) (laughs) And I was about five months into my pregnancy when I started to notice these elevated symptoms of what I would call anxiety, where it was heart rate increase, you know, sometimes racing thoughts, but more so a lot of this physical aspect of panic and activation within my body. And it started slow. You know, it wasn't like it was like a full-blown panic attack right away. It was kind of this gradual progression of noticing this activation, which wasn't unusual to me. I had experienced some of those symptoms before I'd say probably 10 years earlier in my life. And it was confusing to the parts of me that were like, but I'm not really worried about anything. I wasn't stressed out. I mean, pregnancy in itself can be stressful. Yes, your body's going through changes. Uh, You know, you're prepping your life for changes, but I wasn't actually worrying about things in particular. So it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. You're required to take those tests when you're pregnant where you drink that really thick glucose, glucose, (laughs) right? Yes. Glucose. And it's horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Horrible. Ah. Yeah. 
If you're listening to this and you ever get pregnant and you have to take it, ask for the orange flavor and make sure it's cold. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the orange one actually tastes nasty. not that bad, but if it's cold, it goes down a lot easier than nasty, if it's just nasty. room temperature. Yeah. So you have to go do that. So I went and did that. I failed it. Meaning, I guess, Dr. Arlott, how'd you say this? Like, because I have to sit, you drink it really quickly. And yeah, then you, you just dr- sit there for like two hours. Called a, It's called a glucose tolerance test. And what they do is they measure your blood before the glucose. And then they then you drink this, a, a, a specific dose of glucose. And mm-hmm. your blood glucose goes up and your insulin goes up. And they, they're seeing your response over two hours. And if it's a normal response, your body's like, oh, I got this and takes care of it and puts it away. And if it's an abnormal response, you look diabetic, mm-hmm. even even or pre- solidly pre-diabetic, even though, which is a temporary state due to pregnancy in this case. Right. Okay. Yes. So I took that, failed it. I failed it twice. And then they... We're like, okay, now we need you to take the even longer one. <laughs> it's like a three hour one or something. Three hour like that. one, three yeah. or four hour one. Three yeah. or four hour one. And then at that point, I, I was lucky I, I had a couple of, of friends of mine that had been through this and they said, you know, you have the right to refuse that and instead suggest that you'd like to try regulating this with food and measuring your blood sugar, you know, four or five times a day. And I was like, oh, interesting. So that's what I told my doctor and they agreed. They said, okay, yeah, let's try this out. And I quickly realized when I started measuring my own blood, you know, my blood glucose throughout the day that, oh yeah, it was dysregulated. It was having major spikes and, but luckily I was able to help it with food. I didn't need to take medication. Some people do. Uh, but uh, yeah, just with, with food regulation and changing my diet, I was able to help keep those numbers in the, in the healthy range. Yeah. And it was great. I learned a lot. Uh, but here's the thing. No one mentioned to me anything about anxiety. So I'm talking to my doctor at the time being like, I am having all this physical activation. What is going on? And they were like, here's some Zoloft. Because this physical, physical physiology, dysregulated physiology has nothing to do with your emotions. Correct. (laughs) Cause you're just anxious cause you're pregnant. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember sitting there and, you know, in the moment you're so activated, you're like, please, yes, just help me in any way possible. Right. So, you know, it, but yeah, that was their answer. It was okay. Here's some Zoloft and. There was no conversation at all about the connection. Did they even suggest therapy to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's a mental health professional sitting in front of them saying, I have anxiety. Right. I, yeah. I don't know. I just had right. to point that out. Like, yes, thank you. I appreciate that because that's a good point. I'm like, no, they didn't. <laughs> I, I, they didn't recommend therapy. But they never once asked, like, because they knew I was into, I I had gestational diabetes and they never brought it, like, they never brought up that connection. So fast forward, like I said, I was able to regulate it with food. I felt so much better. Then I have my son. 
everything worked out really well. He's healthy. I'm healthy. And, you know, I'm in my, you know, period after having him where I'm off some work. And I remember like sitting at my computer and I, because I'm a licensed mental health therapist, we have to take continuing education, right? Like in order to stay licensed. And I was looking at Pezzi, P-E-S-I, that yep. company, Pezzi.com. And I don't know, is it specifically for licensed professionals or can no, any, anybody can take anyone can like, do it. Okay. Any, great. any, like, you know, like most people don't want to cough up the $250 right. or whatever it costs you because it's a, because you're paying for continuing education, but yeah. any, anybody can take those classes. Oh, that's so great to know. Okay. So if you all are interested in some really great trainings, <laughs> go to Pezzi, P-E-S-I.com. But so I was looking through Pezzi and I don't know if maybe I got a notification or an email, but there was something specifically that brought me there and it was your training. Mm. that you were offering through Pezzi and it was the connection with anxiety and blood sugar. And I was like, what? <laughs> Cause <laughs> this was not something that I didn't hear anything about this in graduate school. Like I said, I didn't hear anything about this yeah. from my doctors as I was going through this. And so I immediately signed up for that, bought your training. And as I, I remember sitting there at my dining room table, taking this, and my mind was just blowing. Like I was like, bow, 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 you know, because it was just, it was a game changer for me. And I'm so grateful that you brought that to, mm. you know, a, a place like Pezzi that attracts a lot of mental health professionals Yeah, because it's just something that's so important. I think as a mental health professional and as a physician, right. To understand right. this connection between blood sugar dysregulation and anxiety symptoms. Yeah. So I take your training. It changes so many things, makes so much sense to me. And in regards to my experience and what I was experiencing when I was pregnant. And then I started utilizing your information in my practice with my clients. With this, yeah, you have great resources. We'll talk at the end. I'll list off all of your links and stuff in the show notes as well. But, you know, you have great free resources online. Uh, and just wonderful, yeah, packets of information and knowledge and, and exercises, you know, and yeah. actual plans of what to eat and, and things like right. that. So yeah, it really, it really changed a lot. So I'm very grateful for you awesome. and yeah, and, and your passion. Yeah. And, well, and thank and, you. Yeah. And so fast forward again mm. <laughs> and. I write a monthly wellness column for the Northern Kentucky Tribune. And so I share in that column piece about what I just shared with you all about my experience with being pregnant, gestational diabetes, anxiety. And I, I credit Dr. Allett in the article. I don't remember if it, I guess it was a couple days later or something, but I see in my email box, you emailed me and I have to admit that a part of me immediately was scared out of my mind. <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> because the, well, this part of me was like, "Oh my gosh, she's mad at me." <laughs> no, like I, I said something wrong. Oh no, okay. So I clicked on it, and then you were so sweet, <laughs> you were so kind. You were just like, "Hey, saw this pop up." Yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing this information, you know. And so then we connected and yeah. got on a Zoom call with each other, and there you nice. go. Nice. Well, thanks so much for sharing that story. 
I just wanted to add, because some people are going to listen to this who are, who are pregnant and going Mm -hmm. and, and looking at doing glucose tolerance tests and sticking their finger. And I just saw literally yesterday that the, the medical world has recognized that they have this amazing tool that they could offer pregnant ladies, but you're going to have to advocate for it. Cause like, you know, if I see it in the literature, that means it's going to be like 20 years before mm-hmm. everybody gets access to it. Right. So diabetics have glucose sensors that they can put on for continuous glucose monitors. Mm-hmm. And they're now suggesting that instead of doing glucose tolerance tests with the glucose and the right, you just put a $70 continuous glucose yes. on somebody so they don't have to stick their finger yes. and they don't have to choke down the awful fluid and they don't have to be sit, sit in a phlebotomist office for yes. four and a half hours. Like, mm-hmm. so if you are pregnant, and you're probably going to have to do the glucose tolerance test once. But if they're like, oh, we need to do it again to verify, say, can I have a continuous glucose sensor? Yes. And they're going to be like, what? And it probably is not going to get paid for from insurance because they generally only pay for it through if you're diabetic. But $70, which you're going to pay in your multiple co-pays. Mm-hmm. And you put it on your arm and you just have your smartphone and then you can know what foods are impacting your glucose in a negative way. It's, it's really my passion right now. And we can go down that rabbit hole later, but I really wanted to mark this for people to start advocating for it. And I'm going to say advocate for it for mental health, but like Mm -hmm. there's actual literature that this is a good idea for women who are pregnant with gestational diabetes. Oh yeah. Well, and that I had the technology for years, right? It was available to you, right? (laughs) Exactly. And I've said this to friends of mine and to multiple people as I share this experience where I've said that I'm like, why don't we give every pregnant person a continuous glucose monitor? I mean, It just seems like that would make so much sense. It would save the person so much added stress, you know, of, of course, like having to go to those appointments, drink that nasty drink, but also just knowing that this is a major thing that is going to play and have an impact on the body as they go through pregnancy and give them immediate feedback on like, Oh, you know, when I sit down and eat a box of cookies, because like that feels so good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like we all like to do that. I mean, we feel horrible afterwards. Right. So you're like, oh, my blood glucose is 350. <sighs> like, hmm. <laughs> right. We, we got like that immediate feedback will slow you down to two yes. cookies instead of a box. Oh, absolutely. When I was testing my blood sugar, it changed the game. It changed the game for me because I would go to Chipotle, let's say, and get like a burrito bowl. And I remember this one day I got like, I think I got brown rice, black beans, chicken, salsas, uh, guacamole or something like that. Sounds good, right? Sounds good. I ate it, tested my blood sugar, and it was through the roof. This was when I was pregnant. And so then I was like, well, that's interesting. So I did some research and I read, okay, sometimes things like Beans, you know, black beans or rice for some people can spike. And so then I went back 
got it with no rice, no beans, just double chicken, the salsas and guacamole. And it was perfectly fine. And so, but this is the thing, right? It's like everyone's body is slightly different and how we, yeah, like how our body like takes these foods in and how then our glucose responds. So for another person, they could eat rice and beans and it'd be completely fine. But for my body at that time, it was not. Yeah. And so, but I would have never known that if I wasn't testing my blood and seeing those numbers. Yeah. If I have sushi rice, I look fully diabetic, like yeah. unbelievably high glucose for a really long time. Mm-hmm. My husband, you know, it goes up, it comes back down. But if I eat a potato, like I, my body does not count potatoes apparently as a carbohydrate, like nothing happens. Yeah. And I will, I will stay grumpy because I didn't get enough carbohydrates <laughs> where my husband looks at a potato and his blood glucose will spike unbelievably high. Like it, the right. individual variation is mm-hmm. really hard, which is why it's so hard to know what the right diet is for us because we aren't actually getting accurate information. And the exactly. continuous glucose monitors are really helping us for mm-hmm. the non-diabetics figure that out. Yeah. And that, and that's the other thing too. I feel like is going to be an important factor as we go through the future as humans is using continuous glucose monitors on people who aren't diabetic and just right. knowing, right? Like what foods for me and my body spike me yeah, and which ones don't. So that then, yeah, you can pay attention to how do I feel, yeah, but also just knowing that information, yeah, it, it, it helps you as you go through life in a more yeah. balanced, healthy way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, this let's go in then to okay. talking about specifically what you talk about, like in your book, is this connection with anxiety, anger, and what's called hypoglycemia. Yeah. And so can you share a little bit more with the listeners who might have no idea, yeah. you know, what we're talking about here? Yeah. So hypoglycemia, there's sort of two definitions that you need to to know that float out there and are rarely specified which one they're using because they're pretty radically different. So there's the medical definition of hypoglycemia, which is when your blood glucose drops below 70 milligrams per deciliter. That's just like the line. And if you're below that, any doctor is going to say hypoglycemic, right? Or gets hypoglycemic or uh, sometimes I will diagnose people with reactive hypoglycemia. So it's nice to have that medical term. So when you're talking to medical doctors, right? And so if you do get a hold of a continuous glucose monitor, for the last two years, I've been putting these on all my patients. And, and so like I have patients who spend a third of their day below 70 milligrams per deciliter. Mm. And when we're below that line, our body gets concerned for its well-being. And there's a number of physiological reactions that happen, right? So your prefrontal cortex, the our responsive brain is like, you know, I don't really have enough fuel here to manage a complex job, two kids, and uh, a pandemic. Thanks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like, like 
this is not, and, and, and this is kind of like recognizing you don't have enough cash in your, in your checking account to cover your expenses. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like it's a survive, you go into a survival mechanism. When our body goes into a survival me- mechanism, it activates the sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so adrenaline gets released along with other hormones that say to your liver, we need more glucose because the brain's only fuel, unless you're fully ketotic, which is a whole other conversation. But that means you do, you're you're not looking or eating any carbs like in the last thirty days. Like getting mm. fully ketotic is a really hard lift, so you can't yeah. just do it once a day. Like nobody's that that adapted. Uh-huh. So most people's brains need glucose in order to stay in our responsive brain. Okay, right? so it's kind of like fuel. It's fuel it's, for the responsive brain. Fuel for the response cortex. For that prefrontal cortex, okay. which allows us to be curious and in the present moment and, mm-hmm. and really think about what our next steps are, mm-hmm. right? Versus freaking out and using our most historic coping mechanism. The fight, flight, freeze and right? fawn and all of that. Okay. Yep. And mm-hmm. so what happens when that adrenaline hits the system, the amygdala gets upregulated. And so the amygdala is that fight, fight, fawn, freeze part part of our brain. And it it says, we are now about to get killed. Because Mm -hmm. that's all it really cares about. Like it doesn't care if you're suffering or uncomfortable. It just simply wants to keep you alive. Right. Right. And and so that gets activated. And and some people who have History of trauma, history of childhood trauma, complex trauma, mm-hmm. or I don't know, just survived a pandemic. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it, yeah. like we can no longer, we can no longer say that there isn't somebody with trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, but the more trauma we have, the more receptors the amygdala has that's scanning for any little drop of adrenaline. Yeah. And so the adrenaline starts to ping that amygdala and we immediately pull up all of our historic tools, which for internal family systems, which I like working around, I'm not an expert in it, but I yeah. play with it. Like we all have somebody who, who will show up and be like, oh, for this particular situation, I got this. Right. Like I did this with mom a hundred times and I'm going to show up for this. Yeah. Even though like telling your boss off is probably inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) But for that part, but for that part within the person that's getting activated in that way, it has a positive intention, right? Like for that person. Very protective intention. Right. Right. Yeah. And we've all had those moments where we were like, that was not how I wanted to respond. Right. right. Because we were blended with that part in that moment, that energy kind right. of took over and was driving the bus. And right. then after the fact, that's where we have some spaciousness. And then we have maybe more of that clarity, that clear mindedness of like, whoa, like, I can't believe I just said that or I just did that right. or yeah. Right. right. And so sometimes what I see is the setup for those moments where you're like, wow, 
that went sideways and I was a solid participant of that, or that went sideways for my spouse and I. And and when I go back, I was like, well, when was the last time you ate? Oh, uh, uh, oh, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I ate that day mm. or generally speaking, I have just like two exceptions to this, but most people who have a panic attack, who have an anger, just like un- uncontrolled anger, mm-hmm. who are, have SI, suicidal ideation, like serious, you know, there's passing thoughts and like, I'm making a plan. Right. Like uh, other self-harm, almost all of them are five hours from food. Mm. Right? Yeah. Right? Because we have used up, so our brain uses 20% of our calories. Like, do we all know who what 20% of our budget is going (laughs) to our income? Absolutely. Are we on Mm -hmm. top of that? Absolutely. Right? Right. If, If that demand goes up, right? And we're in this complex situation or we go too long. It's kind of like, we all know how far our car can go. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and are we going to ride in that, that magical zone when, when we're past the E? Mm, right. Like we all know that you can hit E and not have your car stop, but like how far can you really go? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what happens to a lot of people because particularly as women and men, but in different ways, we're not encouraged to attend to our body. Mm -hmm. And I treat our body like a three-year-old. Like we, uh, because by the time you're three, your physiology is kind of like become sort of normal physiology. Right. And, and I'm like, so if you have a three-year-old and you don't feed it all day, how's that day going to go? Right. Right. It's not going to go well. Yeah. Right. And if you don't feed that three year old every, every few hours, like it's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. So does that help in terms of like understand? So that's the medical hypoglycemia and like what happens. Mm-hmm. There's an- another type of hypoglycemia that's sort of colloquially used where people are like, Oh, I'm hypoglycemia. I have hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. What I see on continuous glucose monitors is kind of like you during gestational be- diabetes. If we put a continuous glucose monitor on you, maybe you had some medical hypoglycemia at night, which would cause like 3 a.m. waking. But right. m- mostly what you were experiencing is when you had the Chipotle, you would see your blood glucose shot shoot up really fast. Right. But then it drops out really fast. Yes. And that drop, what I call the ski slope, also can create a lot of anxiety because your prefrontal cortex is like, oh, crap. Yes. We, our glucose is going away to do this complex thinking. And it really, it takes the liver about 20 to 30 minutes to, to even get fuel made. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you're, fuel source is disappearing faster than the liver is going to replace it. Yeah. So I remember I'd be at work. Well, what was interesting is I started to notice feelings of activation when I was, it's like I would eat breakfast, but let me be clear about what I was eating because this is what I was craving. 
I was oh. craving carbs. Mm-hmm. So I was eating like waffles mm-hmm. and I just remember eating lots of waffles, <laughs> <laughs> lots of waffles, right? Um, some maple syrup, you know, but that's what my body was craving. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering too, does our body sometimes crave things like if we're dysregulated in our ability to regulate our blood sugar, is it normal for them like a body to crave maybe what's not good for it in the yeah. sense? Because I was craving carbs. I was craving candy, which I never eat candy. It's just not yeah. something that I'm ever yeah. really interested in. Yeah. I enjoy like dark chocolate every once in a while, like a bite maybe after dinner. But yeah. this was, it was around Halloween, of course. And so there was just like candy everywhere right. in the office. And I would just crave candy. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I would have that craving of of carbs and sugar, and then I would start feeling the activation of adrenaline within me as I was getting to work because I had a bit of a longer commute. I was driving like 40 minutes one way at the time, and I would start to feel that as I got to work. Well, then I feel like parts of me started like being like, wait, so do I not like my job anymore? (laughs) Right. You know, like, do I not like my, do I not like this job? And it was getting confusing. And then I would eat lunch. And then sure enough, the same thing would happen because yeah. I was eating like chips <laughs> and <laughs> just, I don't even remember exactly. I can, I kept, this was before I was keeping a journal before I started like testing my blood sugar, but I was eating things and it would, again, like 30 minutes to an hour later, I would feel this activation yeah. and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I mean, maybe I hate it here, <laughs> you know, and I need to leave. Right. So right, I, there were a couple... Yeah, there were just a couple of days where I looked at my boss and I was like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. Like, I need to go home. And they were like, okay, go do your thing. And then, you know, parts of me started like thinking like, oh my gosh, what if we we need to find a new job? You know, it's kind of like that. Don't make any big decisions. <laughs> right. When, yeah, like, don't quit a job. Don't do anything like too right. big when you're in the midst right. of this type of dysregulation. Yeah. Because yeah. hearts are getting activated that are trying yeah. to find solutions or that yeah. are trying to find a reason. And it's not always going to make sense. Right. Until, right. yeah. Yeah. I, I love that story. Can we unpack your story? Yeah. For people, right? Yes. Okay. So first of all, I love how you ended like, we have to make understanding of our experience, Right. And right. your, your committee is saying we're anxious. We have no idea why we're mm-hmm. anxious. And the question, are we anxious because we don't have blood glucose never came up? <laughs> no, <laughs> that was like, that no. was never part of the committees. Yeah. <laughs> that was never part of the, the differential, right? Yeah. So why do we crave carbs? So I always go back to like, what did we do for hundreds of thousands of years, right? Like I never, I really, one of my premises is trying not to be smart, smarter than God or evolution. And I don't mm-hmm. care which direction you go. Mm-hmm. Like both of them are brilliant, right? Yeah. And smarter than me. Right. right. What we do know is that at least for 5,000 years before this, humans had access to food, but did not have access to easy carbs. Mm. Right. Like if we were in the tropics, maybe we could get fruits, but it generally, particularly when we got to the Northern hemispheres, like 
it was honey and cooked tubers, right? Mm. Those were our carbs. And so I think part of what, when we have a sugar craving, it's just the loudest request because we're not neurologically wired to, I need protein. Like every once in a while, somebody catches that craving or I need fat, right? Or I need fiber. But quite honestly, that was such a staple, Mm. right? Like why, why request it? And that just came with, I'm hungry because that's all there was like, I'm hungry. And so you would just eat whatever was, a was there. And our foods were really nutrient dense. Yeah. Right. They were not, I mean, they were processed to some degree, but okay. So you took corn or tubers and made it into a flour, right? That's really different than what we're doing to our flowers. Exactly. Yeah. So, so part, part of what was happening is your calorie needs went way up as Mm -hmm. pregnant, right? Because your son's like, I I want, I want the, I want all of your nutrients. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're getting the, the signal that you are hungry. And so your committee, that internal committee is like, well, what's our favorite thing to eat when we're hungry? Mm. Right. Waffles. Like, yeah, my favorite thing is yeah. Well, parts of me will gravitate towards yeah, carb heavy, carb you heavy. Know. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that carb, the reason why we get carbs, and I always try and emphasize this because, like, in the last three years, I have had some phenomenally bad days, and like to go home and have have my carb fix to mm-hmm. solve that. Because most people, when they've had an incredibly bad day reach for the carbs, right? Right. And 20 minutes after eating a carb source, we get tryptophan, more tryptophan amino acids going past the blood brain barrier. So we get more serotonin. Serotonin Mm. tells us everything's going to be okay. Yes. And because we have such a huge supply of carbs, like that we have gotten that really wired in because like, it's like, Oh, I had a bad day. I know, I know how to fix that alcohol. Alcohol will do the same thing or carbs. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I don't know about you, but I can eat an entire pint of ice cream in 20 minutes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. Like That was a horrible day and I am eating my ice cream. Right? Yeah. Right. And when I figured out that physiology, I was like, no, no, no. Let's scoop ourselves up. Like, you know, a small scoop of ice cream. Mm-hmm. And I tell the committee, I'm like, Hey, I know that that day sucks. Like, and you can eat the entire pint of ice cream, but I want you to just eat this. Yeah. And wait 20 minutes. And if you still want the entire pint of ice cream, I'll let you have it. Right. But by then I've gotten some sugar to my prefrontal cortex because on crappy days, like we don't eat very well or we, mm-hmm. we don't, we're not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. And so I've gotten some glucose to my prefrontal cortex. I've gotten this hip hit of tryptophan that's telling tell my brain, like, why don't you notice we're now at home and the monster that was beating up on you earlier today is not here. Right. Yes. Like you're fine. Yep. And if you, and by the way, Remember the last 17 times we ate the entire pint of ice cream? You didn't sleep well mm-hmm. and you were nauseous. Yep. Do you want to do that again or do you want to <laughs> sleep well so you can deal with the monster better tomorrow? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, 
Like, and so, so what I find is knowing a little bit of physiology. And so, and then the third reason why you were really craving carbs is that, and you described it perfectly, right? One hour plus or minus maybe 30 minutes Mm -hmm. after eating your waffles, you started to get anxious. Mm Mm-hmm. Because your body had swept all that glucose out of the system into cells, into fat tissue, into your liver, and and you are now approaching hypoglycemia. And so starting to get that adrenaline yeah, and starting to get into that amygdala in which your committee is like, well, we only get anxious when we're in environments that we don't like. So we must not like this environment Mm. had nothing to do with your work environment and had everything to do that you didn't get protein with that waffle because carbs. One of my clients gave me this and I thought this was a brilliant analogy is when you're making a, like a fire in a fireplace or a a Mm -hmm. campfire, Carbs are the kit, the paper mm. that, you know, and it burns fat. So like you can't right. have a fire with just, just newspaper. Yeah. Right. Protein are the, are the logs that are going mm. to, to, it takes prolong them, the energy, prolong the, it takes them a, a little bit to, to start to warm up and break down. Mm-hmm. But then they're going to give you three hours. Right. Yeah. And the, and the fats also are part of that heavy log system. And so if you're just eating carbs, you have to eat it over and over again. I want to, I, I want to just tell a quick stu- study and then we'll. Yeah. Yeah. So they did this study in the forties. They did all sorts of really great studies on nutrition in the forties. And of course with men, because yeah. right. Um, <laughs> white men to be specific. And yes. um, so one of them was uh, we are, want you to come in and, um, and they fed just a, a carbohydrate diet uh-huh. and the men could eat whenever they wanted. And they ate 6,000 calories a day and right. were hungry at the end of the day. Wow. Yeah. Like, and we're always hungry because they, they would spike mm. and then, then it would drop and they're like, I need more fuel. I spike and I need more fuel. Mm-hmm. I'd spike. And, and so in some ways you were starting to do that. Like, you were just like, oh, sugar, 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 right. which, which we've all had those phases, right? Yes. Yeah. And so that makes a lot of sense that I love your example with yeah, the fire and like the kindling. It's like the carbs can be that quick, you know, energy fire starter, but they're not going to have a prolonged effect as like a log would of wood, which yeah. would be representing protein. So I feel like that kind of slides beautifully into my next question, which is, yeah, how do you prevent hypoglycemia specifically utilizing? Cause you talk a lot about protein. Yeah. Whenever I talk about specifics of a diet, diet, I'm like, let, I think it's really important to start with what are we treating? Right. Mm-hmm. Like what is the primary goal to treat? And let me be clear. My primary goal is to treat anxiety, depression, irritation, mental health problems. Like that's what this pattern is for, right? And if you don't have those mental, if you don't have anxiety and you're doing good and you're on whatever diet, which is different than what I'm about to prescribe, keep doing it. But if you have mood control problems, fatigue problems, 
uh, mental clarity problems, ADHD kind of things. Like this is what I, I tell people you should give it a try and see if you feel better. And if there's and feel better enough that you might want to figure out how to continue doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So in order to stabilize the blood glucose, I want people eating every three hours because my assumption is there is PTSD and we absolutely do not want to trigger, trigger the amygdala because any right. mental health professional, regardless if they know anything about nutrition or, or physiology, knows that part of recovery from PTSD is stop hitting the adrenaline button. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so if you're in an abusive relationship, like you're not going to get over your PTSD as long as somebody's in an abusive relationship. You might manage it better. But like actually not going to recover until, yeah. until you get a time where you're like, Oh, I'm in my prefrontal cortex and I get to make all my choices. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of right? safety, right? There's a yeah. sense of safety. Mm -hmm. And from the polyvagal for people who are getting into, like you have to get into that, that ventral vagal. Yeah. That window, spots. that window of tolerance, right? That. Oops. That self-energy space that we say yeah. in IFS, yeah, where it's that yeah. sense of you feel connected, you feel maybe a sense of calm, curiosity. You curiosity, know. all yeah. of those things. Mm -hmm. So what I have people do is some people wake up anxious. Right. Like just out of the gate, like flipping out. And, and so I want to get them in their prefrontal cortex as quickly as possible. And so I have them put a quarter cup of fruit juice by the bedstand. So that they're immediately getting the quickest carbs into their body mm. and brain. And yeah. people are like, but juice is horrible for weight gain. I'm like, it's a quarter cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not eight ounces. Right. And we're treating anxiety because a quarter cup of fruit juice is better than a benzodiazepine yes. any day of the week. Right. right? Like yeah. how, how else can we cut the anxiety right now? Because when the person's waking up, would you say that they're going down that ski slope? Oh, and so I, then the I think they've been down they've already for a done while. Okay. They've been, they're down, they're down the, and they've been down for a while and the and, body's releasing the adrenaline. Yeah. And the, they just were tired enough and other neurological processes kept them unconscious and they woke up and they're like, yeah. Oh my. Oh my God. Right. So then ingesting that quarter cup of, uh, you know, of juice, it's going to help kind of bring that, that's line back up a little bit. Yeah. Within okay. 10 minutes. Within 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. That's like, fast. That's fast. And some people are like, can I do a carrot? I'm like, that's going to be 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> you can do whatever you want. It's just going to be slower. Yeah. So right? the fruit, yeah, the juice is a quick. Quick. Is a quick way. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then if you don't like the juice, you can find, you can play with other things then, and just see if this response is fast enough. Like dried fruit sometimes work for people, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's digestive system, but, but quick juice. And then get up and have breakfast. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I want people having at least 20 grams of protein for breakfast, lunch, and dinner plus, plus carbs. So what is a meal? So let's talk about a meal. Yeah. Meal. So that's, I think that's where I get confusing, right? Cause it's like, Oh, 20 grams of protein. Like what does that look like? What was an example yeah. of a meal for breakfast that has yeah. 20 grams of protein? 
Yeah. So let's, I want them to have a meal, which is protein, carbs, fat, fiber. That's a meal, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people hear, oh, she wants me to get protein. And so they just do a piece of meat. And, and again, we need carbs to stabilize our prefrontal cortex until that meat can be made into carbs, which is like an hour and a half later. If you're, if you mm-hmm. don't do, do that kindling, right? Like you need that kindling. Right. So can I share with you what I ate for breakfast yeah. this morning and you oh, tell yes. me? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I scrambled two eggs, uh-huh. just added some pepper yeah. and then I added two scoops with my spoon of a plain almond yogurt. Nice. So almond milk yogurt and then added blueberries, strawberries, and then a sprinkle of pumpkin seeds. Nice. So does that include all those four things or am I missing a couple? So let me, let me ask. So you probably do this breakfast pretty regularly. Yeah. How long can you go before you have to eat next? So I like to switch it up. So like, but I eat the same thing for like a week or so at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been eating that particular breakfast for the past, for sure, for sure the past week, I would say I'm hungry like i could eat by around like 10 30 or 11 but okay. i'm eating it i'm eating it around like 7 30 right so you got a solid three hours right maybe may, maybe a three and a half almost four hours which is like a great expectation on okay. in ter- terms of meal right so, and it kind of depends on the st- stress level. Like if mm-hmm. my stress level is low, I can get a solid four hours out of a meal. If my, and I'm getting regular exercise and good sleep. If I'm not doing any of those things, that window is, is a three it's hours. Shorten. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about that meal. So the two eggs, that's about 12 to 14 grams of protein. Okay. Probably the almond milk yogurt. You'd have to look at the, the label, but I doubt it has any protein in it. One of the biggest people are like, oh, I do almond milk. I'm like, yeah, look at that label. There's no Mm. protein in it. (laughs) So would you suggest if I'm wanting to have more protein, would it be like more like a Greek style? It would be a Greek style yogurt. Yeah. A Greek style yogurt or a third egg. Or a third egg. Okay. Yeah. Eggs are so like, let unless you didn't get the memo, like Eggs are so healthy yeah. for your brain. And I know right now people are like, oh my God, they're so expensive. But if you look at the cost per gram of protein compared to other meats, mm-hmm. cheap. Okay. Right? Like, yeah. you know, like, I don't know, chicken is six to eight, eight dollars for mm-hmm. a decade. For like, you know, like you can do the math. I can't do yeah. the math while, while I'm talking. But anyway, like I think they're cheap and they've got all these new nutrients that are great for brains. So you could have three eggs. Okay. You could have yogurt. You could have a spoonful of nut butter. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, but you are getting a carb. So the, so there's a, there's a good carb source in there because of the um, almond milk, right? That's a carb source. Okay. And little maple syrup. That's a carb source. You said blueberries, right? So blueberries and strawberries and pumpkin seeds. Blueberry blueberries are uh, a fiber source. Okay. Strawberries are just a carb source. Like there's okay. no, there's no fiber okay. source. <laughs> strawberries. They're just yummy. And then pumpkin seeds, that's a little bit of protein, a little bit of 
fiber. And since you're doing kind of a smoothie thing, like one of the things I do to up my fiber, because we're knowing we're learning so much about gut biome, which is a whole other yes. conversation. Yeah. But a little chia seeds. Oh yeah. I just used like, to yeah, I used to use chia sprinkle seeds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sprinkle them in or a little, you know, oat oats or or flaxseed, yeah. but like just a bump up. And then just while I'm on the topic, like I saw this great study in terms of if people are interested in gut biome, it's interesting to count how many different plant products you you eat in a week. Mm. And so there's at least five in what you were just naming, because you got blueberries, strawberries, uh, pumpkin seeds, uh, almond milk, you four, got four mm-hmm. right? And do you put any spices in there? Just like pepper. Pepper. Okay, there's five. Pepper. Oh, okay. Yep, pepper. But if you put a little cinnamon or like the, the spices count, oh. and, it, and gut biome gets a lot better if you're getting 30 different plant products. It's not amount, oh. it's exposure. And okay. so like I just dump spices into everything because mm. <laughs> then I'm like, woo, I got yeah. five. That's a great right. idea. Yeah. That's so, that's so helpful to know. Cause yeah, I just, you know, I don't really think about. Like, oh, yeah, I just grabbed the spice and, you know, put that in there. But yeah, yeah that it makes a yes. difference, that it, it can a make difference. a difference in the gut yeah. microbiome. That's really, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So that's a great breakfast, right? Okay. So let's say, uh, when do you take lunch break? Noon. Noon. Okay. So you're running out of fuel at 11. So if right. you're seeing an 11 o'clock client, yes. <laughs> particularly if they're complex, yeah. like you, you may say to yourself, oh, I, I might be setting myself up to be in my lizard brain and they're going to be in their lizard brain. So that's not a good combination. And so like a handful of nuts, which is eight grams of protein. Mm -hmm. Some people need a little carb at that. So some like dried fruit, but some people can just do fine with having some, some nuts to just extend that. It Mm -hmm. depends on the person. It also kind of depends on how much glucose you need in that hour, quite right. honestly, but having a handful of nuts and then having lunch at noon. Okay. And so noticing, particularly when you're first trying this out, that like, I'm just not going to go more than three hours mm-hmm. without putting a little bit of protein and carbs, not a lot, not a meal, but mm-hmm. a little bit. So I'm like, here, eat this. Don't start eating me. Yes. Right. Okay. And so let me ask you this, because I feel like like the other day I was at the grocery store and there's, you know, these little snack packs that some companies make and it's like almonds and uh, some other nuts. And then there's like yep. little cubes of cheese. Yeah. What What's the thinking on cheese coming from a cow? Yeah. So, yeah. So and how does I, that play? So this is where it gets a little complex. Um, so I'm going to make some people sad, but generally speaking, I do not see cheese as a protein source. Okay. And I do not see milk as a protein source for adults. For kids, different. Kids have a lot more enzymes that can break down lactose. Mm-hmm. And as we age, we lose that. What I, I find Greek yogurt and cottage cheese often stays around as a good protein source for people. And I don't, and maybe because it's fermented and there's something right. else going on. But like cheese, I, I've seen a lot of what I call pasta dairy vegetarians, which I was for 15 years, where mm-hmm. I literally was eating like a loaf of cheese a day, right? Yeah. Like just unbelievable amount of cheese and was a highly anxious person. Yeah. <laughs> like really, <laughs> I'm like, 
that was a lot of therapy on BB, you know, yeah, on my right. cases. And what I have people do when they're very attached to their, their cheese is I'm like, okay, let's, if they're omnivores, I, I, I'm like, let's do a turkey sandwich instead of a grilled cheese sandwich and mm. see if you can stay, keep that three hour window. Yeah. And if you find that to be true, like you, you're more stable f- with the turkey sandwich, have a grilled cheese sandwich and just eat turkey on the side. Yes. Like, like you just, you just do a turkey roll up, put it in your mouth, get, get, get a deck of cards. So any kind of meat is a three ounces is a deck of cards and that's 20 grams. Okay. So for the vegetarian vegans, boy, it's really a lot more complex because like, a half cup of beans is about eight grams. And so okay. to get to, to 20, eat more, yeah, 20 grams, you're, you're eating like two cups of beans to get yeah. your protein in. And there's a carb source, as you pointed out, there's a carb source in there. Mm-hmm. And then you can't really add a lot more carbs to that. And I like two cups of beans is going to fill me up. Like, and then yeah. it's, you know, how do you get your nutrients? It, you know, like it's a, it's a sure. kind of a little more complex. Yeah. Um, but for the omnivores, I want them to have 20 grams of protein for breakfast, 20 grams for lunch, 20 grams for dinner, handful, like eight grams for snacks. And if you're having any sleep issues like PTSD nightmares, mm-hmm. 3 a.m. waking, all that, I want you to eat protein right before you go to bed, just protein. Okay. And so I feel like, does this go into what you call the lizard brain treats? Yeah. So lizard brain treats are, I use those mostly in crises, right? So, oh, I I'm in this pattern, but I got called to a meeting at lunchtime. I missed my lunchtime. The boss asked me to do something and I see a panic attack coming, Mm. right? And so a lizard brain treat is fixing that the lizard, your amygdala is fully mm-hmm. engaged, right? And so right. now with telemedicine, sometimes I, this happens where somebody gets on, on the screen and they're like, ah, ah, and I'm like, go get food. And they're like, there's no food in the kitchen. And I'm like, I bet there's a bag of sugar. Let's go find the bag of sugar and get <laughs> just spoon in sugar. And of course, when they get there, they're... There's something in the yeah. refrigerator to eat. There, sure. there's, there's a yogurt or something like that. Uh, or they can get a little bit of juice and a handful of nuts, which is mm-hmm. sort of the classic lizard brain treat. Yes. And within 10 minutes, I have a completely different person. I just watch them drop in and you're like, yeah. I, I, you were telling me about when we were getting started, you use lizard brain. What are your stories yes. around lizard brain traits? So, yeah, that was one of the big things that I started recommending to clients if they were experiencing like what you just described, maybe like anxiety at night, uh, you know, issues with waking up in the middle of the night or waking up anxious. And I loved your suggestion of a lizard brain treat. And plus the name is adorable. And every time I say that, people are like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> but yeah, it's this... And I, and I use them too, you know, I use them too, because it is, it's like, it's paying attention. I feel like it's always, you know, you got to bring awareness to how you are feeling because if you don't have awareness, then you're just blended with all this activation and then you're just blended with activation all the time. And then you're suffering. Right. So it is that awareness of like, yeah, how am I feeling? You know, if I'm eating dinner at this time and then I don't go to bed until this time. 
or if I'm drinking alcohol or if I'm not moving, you know, my body, it's like, oh, how am I feeling? And so to have that awareness of, okay, I can invite in like this little bit of juice or this palm full of nuts, and that's going to help my body feel more stable, which is then going to help these parts of me that are getting triggered from that adrenaline activation to realize, oh, wait, we are safe. This is okay. We can go to sleep, right? And so, yeah, it's been a game changer for me personally. And when I recommend it to clients in my practice to give it a shot because it's easy. It's easy, right? It's so easy. And and the other place that I really find it helpful is in family dynamics. Mm. That you know, one of my rules is don't have a conversation with a lizard, right? If <laughs> it, if your kid is melting down, it it's not the time to be like, well, <laughs> why are you feeling this way? And he's three, so it's a little it's a little young. Yeah. But when particularly with teenagers, right? Like their moods are all over the place because they're not consistently eating is one of the reasons. And, you know, teenagers will come in and they'll be like, Wah! and then, and, and the <laughs> initial reaction is like, don't speak to me that way or what's going on. Let's problem solve. Mm. Yeah. Get them food. Mm-hmm. Wait 20 minutes and sit, then be like, wow, what is going on? Right. Yeah. Or if your spouse and the other transition period that I'm like, have a lizard brain treat before you walk into a house. That your family's in. When we were all locked at home, before you open that door and and go into the work environment, yeah. have have a lizard brain treat because they're probably all you know approaching hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. You're approaching hypoglycemia. That is just a setup for disaster, right? And, exactly. and if every, even though you're going to have dinner in thirty minutes, like why have the setup? For having a dysregulated dinner. Yeah, I love that. Yes. So lizard brain treats can help so that you're not all just talking to each other, being blended as lizards. <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen that happen. You're like, yes, oh, that was. Awful. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, lizard brain treats has been just, yeah, a great tool to add into my life, into my practice. So thank you for coming up with that. Because nice. that's, it's been, it's been so helpful. And so, Two things I want to touch on before we end is the connection with sleep and movement and blood mm-hmm. sugar. So insomnia got horrible mm-hmm. in COVID. Everybody was really struggling with sleeping. And it was because their movement decreased so much. Right. Right. Because for those of us who are privileged enough to work from home, like the number of steps we got in a day went from 5,000, maybe 7,000 because we got to walk to the car and then we got to walk to the work and then, you know, mm-hmm. we have to walk to the bathroom and now we're locked in our house. And I had people who were getting a thousand steps a day and I'm like, I'm not even sure I can do that <laughs> going to the bathroom. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you know, just so little. So let's talk about what movement does for our glucose regulation and how it's so essential to help us sleep through the night. Yes. So the way our cells get fuel in is there's two systems to get fuel in. There's the door, as I call it, and 
And in order for the door to open, insulin has to come and ring the doorbell. Ding mm-hmm. dong. I've got fuel. We just ate a cookie. There's lots of glucose here. Ding dong. Let me in. Exercise opens windows for fuel to get in without insulin. So, so it keeps the, the window open, but the window is only open for 24 to 72 hours based on when you last moved that muscle. It's not, oh, I, I walked. And so my, my upper body, (laughs) you know, has that privilege. It's only the lower body. Right. And so, so when part of why exercise helps us have better glucose regulation is because we're not dependent upon insulin. And that's why exercise helps us prevent insulin resistance diabetes. Mm. Because what insulin resistance diabetes is, is that you need more and more insulin to ring that doorbell. Okay. Yes. But exercise opens the door without without insulin. Okay. Right? So and it takes less insulin than to just, it can just pass right through. It can just pass right through. Oh, okay. and the cell is like, oh, I need fuel and can just reach out into the bloodstream and pull in what it needs. Okay. In terms yeah. of not only carbs, but proteins, fats, nutrients, all of those things. So easy to reach out and get it. Where if you're not moving your body, like you, you are totally dependent upon getting glucose. So give a, a story to insulin, to, to like lock this in. So yeah. I was working with a person who is morbidly obese. So really round body, really lots of PTSD. That was a very important mm. protective layer for her. Like I'm not, I, I just want to be clear. Yeah. Like a lot of obesity is, is a, a protective layer, but she was really working on not being diabetic and she was newly diabetic. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were really working with her committee members on like, what is good food and what tastes good and how to enjoy Mm -hmm. it. And what's the difference between like nourishing yourself emotionally versus nourishing yourself with food. Right. So she had had a pretty busy week. She hadn't been able to get her exercise in, which is happens to all of us. Yes. But she scheduled a lunch with her best friend and it was this beautiful summer day and she went and they sat on this patio and she ordered this great cob salad with all these yummy foods and, mm-hmm. and, and, and no croutons because she was like, I'm no croutons because I'm, I'm doing a good job. And, and she and her friend, like all that, like she just fed herself emotionally. Yeah. Got in the car, had to go pick up her kids. Driving to pick up her kids, she realized that she was starving. Mm. And when her kids got in the car, she was like, I think I could eat them. Yes. <laughs> like, I am so hungry. Yeah. And went home and binged eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And she's like, what? The, you know, like yeah. what happened? I was doing it all right. And I was like, mm. you didn't get enough carbs to get the insulin to open mm. the door. And because you didn't exercise this week, you didn't have any windows. And oh. so she needed more carbs. So she week that she didn't exercise, which is counterintuitive to diet culture. Exactly. Right. It's like eat the croutons, eat the croutons <laughs> so that you don't have to binge eat. Yeah. You know, 
an hour and a half later, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, that's why, why it's really important to understand the physiology. And so how does this relate to sleep? So what I know about myself and everybody's different, but if I don't get 7,000 steps in, in a day, I will not sleep well. Yeah. Because I don't have enough windows open for my body, my, my, not only my brain cells, but my body cells to have fuel to get through the night. And so when I don't have fuel, then I'm going to get an adrenaline hit, regardless if my glucose is low or not. Yes. Because they're like, ah, we're starving, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which then wakes me up. And Uh when I get adrenaline, it's going to be two hours until my brain goes back to sleep unless I get a lizard brain treat. Right. So I just know that, oh, like I didn't get 7,000 steps. I eat protein before I go to bed. I do some stretching in mm-hmm. hope. Sometimes that helps. Uh, but I get protein before I go to bed and I just know that I'm going to wake up. And the minute I, I'm like, oh, I'm awake and the committee's like, mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, I'm like, really? None of this is important right now. Yeah. And I just get up and I go get, get some peanut butter and I get a couple of dried cherries and mm-hmm. I'll go back to sleep in 30 minutes and get okay. through the night. Yeah, that's a great example. Last night I did an experiment. I like doing these experiments on myself where <laughs> last night we ate manicotti. So it was, you know, pasta filled tubes with cheese and then we marinara sauce and then kale, very plain kale salad with like Caesar dressing and pumpkin seeds and some croutons. Yeah. And that's what we ate for dinner. And then I made a point to notice, okay, I got done eating at this time. because I was going to test my blood sugar. I was just curious, you know, two hours later. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm also going to march in place for about 10 minutes, you know, just as husband and son, they were sitting on the couch, we were watching something, you know, and I'm just standing there like marching in place for 10 minutes. And I do this every once in a while. And then I'll test it with and without. And I tested, it was fine. It was, I was like 99. Right. It was a 99. And, right. you know, I, and I, how'd you I, sleep last night? I slept fantastic. Okay. Good. I woke up. I woke up at one point, I think at six, but I feel like that's yeah. natural. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. I woke up yeah. naturally at six. But what I've noticed is that when I make a point to be active and move my body in some way, it definitely helps my sleeping. For sure. Absolutely. And yeah, if I don't get that movement in, then I can wake up at three in the morning, like clockwork, and I'm awake and my parts are awake. And then I'm laying there for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And I'm like, what is happening? Right. Right. (laughs) You know? Right. So, so yeah, I definitely see the benefit and feel the benefit of movement. Right. Because you're opening the windows by marching in place, even for like 10 minutes, right? Right. And so there's a book that I really recommend that's super small. It's called Glucose Revolution by Jessie. And it's, I can't say her last name, but it starts with an I. And she, she's at Instagram glucose goddess. Okay. And she has, she has some really good tips that help stabilize blood glucose. And, and you just named one of them, which is after a meal, get just even walking 10 minutes mm-hmm. will flatten out your curve. Yep. Well, the other tip that that I thought was super smart is eat your veggies first. Mm. 
If you mm-hmm. eat your veggies, if you eat that salad, that kale before you eat your heavy carb, mm-hmm. the, the carbs don't enter your system as fast. And the last tip that she promotes, and I thought this was really smart. Not everybody is going to do it consistently, but it does. I do it when I, when I'm really going to overdo it on the carbs is get a little bit of uh, vinegar. Mm. Vinegar slows down the enzymes that break down the carbs. And so if you put, which is why having salad, you know, right before you have a meal is kind of a brilliant thing because you're getting a little bit of vinegar and you're getting, okay. getting a salad. As she, she talks about just drinking vinegar, a little, a shot of vinegar and water. Since reading the book, I've recommended it to a lot of people and, and it really helped, particularly people who are using continuous glucose monitors. You can really see that they stop bouncing out of the normal range and keep it yeah. in the normal range. Yeah. I'll have to try that. I'll do yeah. an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this has been so amazing, all this information that you're sharing today. And, you know, the last thing that you mentioned, one of the last things that you mentioned in your book was, you know, talking to a healthcare provider about some of this stuff, right? And particularly differentiating between what is physical and what is emotional causes of like fatigue, depression, and anxiety. And so just briefly, what would you recommend to someone you know, if they are curious about this stuff within themselves and they are going to go talk to their, you know, healthcare provider, yeah. what would you suggest? Natasha, my co-author, and I just did it. We're just about to put an online uh, course on, on this topic. So I'm going to do a little self-promotion, but I'll Great. tell you. Yeah, the, perfect. The, the bottom line is when you go into your healthcare provider, type up bring in written form and email a list of what you want to have happen, mm. right? Do your research, but be like, I have the following symptoms. I'm fatigued. I have anxiety. I don't know how to separate depression from fatigue. And I have read on the internet or in, and never say that you read in a naturopath's book, these things. Like, it's just good to be like, I read on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Because th- then they don't get defensive because everybody's doing it. Yeah. But here are the labs that I would like to have done and put it on a piece of paper and insist that they put it in your, your chart. Okay. Because if you put it on a piece of paper and put it in your chart, they are responsible for that information. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but like doctors have a way, even though I'm a doctor, have a way in helping me walk out of the appointment and be like, crap, I did not cover what I wanted right. to cover. Exactly, right, exactly, yeah. And when you write it on a piece of paper, they can read it faster than they can listen to it. Because, okay. Because all the stories have been deducted out of it. And you're yes. like, here's the facts. This is This is our agenda for today. Yeah. Okay. Right. So first and foremost, put it on a piece of paper. But that's really what our class is about is like how to set yourself up to do that. But this okay. simple take home is put it on a piece of paper. So labs that I typically like to have done. So continuous glucose monitors, mm-hmm. like just tell your doctor that you will pay out of pocket. It's about 70 bucks. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's so helpful. The other labs that I like people for sure to get done is ferritin. And so ferritin is an iron store Mm. and uh, there's a Swiss study in which they um, went back and looked at women who are diagnosed with ferritin as iron deficient, which is, which is 
anything below 50. Okay. In the United States, the normal goes down to five to 10, which is not normal. But what studies show is that when women are below 50, they're fatigued. Yeah. Fatigue and depression look a lot alike. Mm-hmm. So why I like to educate about this is I got frustrated and I called LabCorp, which is like one of the major lab, like they're the bulimith. And I was like, can you please tell me how you came up with this low number of 10 Mm -hmm. for ferritin when there are multiple studies that show that when women are below 50, they're they're having symptoms. And they're like, oh, yeah. We uh, took a thousand people who were normalistic in uh, that did, gave blood work and we put it on a bell curve and that was the end of the bell curve. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so you didn't look at any of the studies? And they're like, no, nope, <sighs> the WHO doesn't require us to do that. And I'm like, mm. well, then how are physicians going to know that 50 is actually the bottom limit for wow. women? And they're like, well, they should be educated on that. And I'm like, you know, primary care physicians have a lot to manage. And we all know that primary care physicians just look and see if you fell off the lab, mm. the edge of the lab. Yeah. Right. And so you can look up that information. Some of that information is on my website Okay. under references. Uh, sometimes I've had people just bring the studies in and be like, I need a ferritin. And it, it was mm. like, you know, 20. And they're like, uh, I, and, the, and then they eat more iron and they work on getting okay. more iron, iron in their diet. And then they go back into their physician three months later and they're like, I need another ferritin. They're like, but it was normal three months ago. And they're like, here's a study. We're trying to get to 50, right? Yes. Minimally. Like, yeah. really, I, I like 70. So ferritin's good to have. Vitamin D is good to have. I, I like all the basics in terms of CBC, which is red and white blood cells, comprehensive metabolic panel, lipid panel. Homocysteine is a marker for B vitamins, but something to measure B vitamins. They can just be do B12 and, and folate. If you're a vegan, it's really, mm-hmm. or vegetarian, it's nice to get the actual B12. And then CRP. So C reactive protein. Okay. Is, is an inflammation marker. Uh-huh. And what the, what the sort of the cutting edge studies are that they're kind of doing is if there's inflammation, they're, different um antidepressants that are more effective when there's higher information inflammation versus lower information interesting the the range for crp highly sensitive is 1 to 3 and what they're finding is that when people have a crp that is above 1 they can present as depressed mm. right wow. and they yeah and they're and they may be depressed or maybe they're fatigued or maybe the inflammation's causing the depression. Right. The biggest driver in lowering inflammation is more exercise. Mm. Uh, omega-3s are also helpful. Real food diets is also helpful. You know, less carby diets is also helpful. But like I've had a number of people who have years of depression. And when I look at their CRP, I'm like, Let's just focus on getting your inflammation down, yeah. stabilizing your blood glucose, finding some way that you move your body that you love. And when this, when the inflammation comes down, they feel so much better. Yes. So, absolutely. So, uh, that, that's listed on my book. You can also go to my website, fuelyourbrain.org yeah. your or kristenallett.com. Okay. Uh, 
I'm sure you can put the link in the yeah, show I'll, notes. Yeah, I'll put all of that in the show notes too. Yeah, so your your website has a lot of really great free resources. And then what about anything in regards to anything you want to share about social media? Yeah, so uh, we're building our social media. It okay. mostly mostly we're we're like, hey, go to the website, and that'll link you to. We have a podcast and a YouTube. Yes. They're all at like fuel your brain variations, but depending on the social media, and so it's just easier to go to the website. Yes. The big thing that I would encourage people to do is sign up for our newsletter because that's that's where we're perfect. I, we're doing monthly videos. I've stopped doing blogs because I don't think everybody reads and I'm dyslexic and I'm like, why should I, why should I write something? I should just do a video (laughs) so much easier. Yeah, that's so great. So where can people sign up for that newsletter? On my website, kristinallett.com or feelyourbrain.org. Both of those go to the same site. You just land on a different page. Okay, perfect. Great. Well, this was so amazing. You are just filled with so much beautiful knowledge and oh, information. So fun talking to you. And I, I so appreciate you sharing your stories. Like, I think that what I've seen is that people really appreciate when their therapist can be transparent about how, how they work with themselves. Yeah. Because, because, you know, I think it's really easy for people to assume that as professionals, we have it all together. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, and we're still working on the, I'm still, mm-hmm. I, I do this for a living and I'm still working on my skill sets. Yes. Agree. Thank you for, again, like putting this information out into the world and hopefully, you know, this podcast episode can reach some people and that this that changes their life, that this that changes their life. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Right. And that's really why Natasha and I put the book out. We, we make a dollar a book. Like we're, it, it's not, this is not funding us in any way, but but we really want, and part of why we do free resources is that like we want people to have the ability to ha- make a difference in their lives because yeah. it seems like we're just beginning to talk about this. Yes, exactly. And so if you're listening to this and you live in the state of Washington, then yeah, you can if help you- them. Yes, I can help. Uh, so the, the challenge about doing podcasts is people are like, I want to work with Kristen. Yeah. And, and I can only work with people who live and reside and are actually in the state of Washington. More and more I hear stories of this as people get the book and listen to the videos that are on YouTube and sit down with their therapist and be like, I want to do this. Yes. Let's, let's do this book together. Mm hmm. So that we can dialogue about it and, and then we can learn from it and they get some traction. Yes. That's a great. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely right. It's even though they may not be able to work with you one on one because they're not physically in the state of Washington, they can still utilize all of your beautiful resources and work with their physicians, work with their therapists utilizing your information. So yeah, yeah, definitely check out her resources. I'm going to link those in the show notes. And thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much. Yeah. This was so fun. See you all later. Yeah. Bye. Bye.